Welcome to Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. I'm Tracy Brown, the fraud-busting body language expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion-dollar business deals. And I want you to be able to tell whose pants are on fire, make better decisions, and build your bottom line as well. Get ready. Let's dive in. It's Tracy back again with another episode of Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. This one is an in-case-you-missed-it one. It is so amazing that we brought it back to the top of the list. And I am here with super producer Alex. How are you? Wait, I missed it. Which one did we miss? What what did I miss? Did I miss something? No, because you edited it back in the day. Marissa Mariko, she was uh, uh, ended up the head of an Italian mafia. Hmm, like separated from a body. It was just a head. No, it was her Because that's what body. happens no, in the no, mafia. She, no, she was in charge. Well, I asked her. She said she didn't have to make anyone an offer they couldn't refuse. Hmm. Marissa could be a very interesting person to go magnet fishing with. Since um, she was involved with the mob. Right. And, and if we, we were to take... About, we talked about magnet fishing in our chat episode, our most recent chat episode. <laughs> <laughs> and in case you miss that, magnet fishing just means you tie a magnet to the end of a string and throw it out into the water, just like you're fishing for a fish. But instead of a hook, you're using a magnet and you drag it along the bottom and see what comes up. And every now and then you come up with a sniper rifle. You do. You do. But and I'm you know thinking what? a mob she had, person. She had plenty of sniper rifles and plenty. She anything she needed, she had. And she was making that she was running the family business at 22. No kidding. You got to be good. To well, rise to the, yeah. Or you, or I guess you got to take everybody else out. <laughs> it's well, one yeah. or the other. Well, she didn't have to do. She didn't have to take anyone out, which is good. But I tell you what, she's not kidding. She is not kidding about some of the stuff that's gone on in the family business. What was her demeanor in this interview? Does she strike you as, you know, the the classic Godfather Don type, or is she more of a normal person? She's totally normal. You'd never know. Regular, huh. like, let's go have a beer. Okay, so she didn't have the two balls of cotton in the corners of her mouth? Uh, no. Okay. None of that. Like, no, really. She's like, just happened to be in charge of the mafia. Just one of the things. Yeah, just happened to do that. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm glad that you gave me a heads up on this because I did miss it. And I'm going to go back and catch, what's her name again? Marissa. Marissa what? Mariko. All right, let's do yeah. that. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, but you know what we need first <clears throat> before what? we can properly enjoy any interview? Coffee. Does it involve a beaver? Oh, no. coffee. Okay, that's much better. Yeah. Don't buy us a beaver. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also a callback to our chat episode. You can find all about beavers and <clears throat> how beavers. Uh, and how get... Tracy is obsessed with beaver nuts. <laughs> yes, you can find that out. But yeah. uh, uh, currently what we need to help the show is coffee. We do. We need lots of coffee. Lots of coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's and, the only uh, way that Tracy's brain can keep up with mine. It- <laughs> oh, you are brutal but uh yeah coffee is um a way just buying us a cup of coffee that you can donate to the show help things keep going because we do have a few expenses here and we want to keep bringing these to you so uh, the links in the show notes just go there you know donate five five bucks or you know whatever you feel like we five really ten fifty two hundred whatever that yeah, would be just we fun appreciate it yeah and um It'll uh, help you keep enjoying uh, these interviews like Marissa. If you did, if you missed that one, looking back, then you can you can have it now. 
And we'd love to keep bringing you these shows. We do have bills that go with it. Uh, but, you know, if nothing else, even just $5, it's not going to really cover a bill, but it goes a long way to let us know that there are people out there that actually care. Yeah. And they, they enjoy what we do. And that really makes it worthwhile for us to see that kind of feedback where somebody cares enough to send us a dollar, you know, or $2. Uh, but we know that, you know, they, they actually went out and they found the link and, and they made a conscious effort to do this. And I kind of did the same thing just the other night. Mm. Uh, I saw an advertisement on late night TV for, uh, and it was just a black screen with white lettering across the front. And it said, we are a company that, that are, you know, giving, we're, we're producing and feeding meals to, uh, on the Western, no, it was the Eastern edge of Poland oh. to refugees that are crossing over from Ukraine. Uh, if you'd like to donate to us, here's our website. That's it. There was no there was no video to it. No, nothing. It was just text on a screen where clearly these people are just like, this is us. We, we're, you know, making meals. We could use money for a good cause. And so I sent them a bunch of my money. Now I have none left for coffee. So anybody <laughs> wants to pitch in, we would really help. Uh, we yeah. really appreciate it. It's less important than what's going on in Ukraine. Let's face it. However, we can still use the support. So <laughs> and the coffee. And the coffee, yeah. Absolutely. So with that, let's get to Marissa. Let's go. Let's go. Let's jump in here. And um, I have I have kind of two realms of curiosity here. Um, mm -hmm. First is, I, I'm kind of curious how... Um, how organizations like like your family's is was structured because like like would you call it the mafia or would you call it something else and like i'm curious how cash flow works and how all that it comes together typically and then i want to know more uh like pointedly about your experience in navigating through what happened and how you ended up now uh to be doing what you're doing now so um, so tell me a little bit okay. about the structure of uh, how how things work. Well, as um, so you've got uh, you've got the mafia, which is Cosa Nostra from Sicily. Okay. And you've got the Gamorra, which is from Naples, and then you've got the Andrangheta, which is from Calabria, and that's where my family is from. Okay. Uh, which is the Andrangheta. Andrangheta actually is the word that means family. Oh, okay. so yeah. So the structure is a family structure. So basically, you you born. I was born into that. Okay. We go back to generations of um, mafia families uh, of, of the family. You know, we're going up a couple of hundred years at least. Oh. Um, you know, our our Serrano family with partisans in the Second World War in the Aspromonte Mountains. Uh, fighting the Germans uh, and their own Italian, because obviously Italy was with Germany at the start of World War Two. Mm -hmm. So they were fighting with the Americans, with yourselves, uh, before uh, Italy surrendered and Germany was sort of pushed out. Uh -huh. um, so they they were allies with them. So you know, because obviously partisans, they knew the area, they knew. So there's that connection with that. Um, and then, of course, you wind forward over the years, the families always stayed and, and the new generations coming through have taken over the ranks. So you'd never have anybody from the outside do it. Uh, people from the outside do come in 
if they're cousin of a cousin or married into okay the sister's married and then the sister's cousin comes into it but it's always structured around family okay um yeah if that so, answers your question yeah yeah absolutely because i didn't know if uh if you brought outside people for certain projects or uh certain activities of course you do that you mm -hmm. hire people and you know uh, in this world there's everybody has a price uh -huh. even the ones that you think they're untouchable they do have a price yeah yeah um so you know we have like accountants and, and people that would look at different different things for investments uh so basically my my role was i never saw the drugs or anything like that of course i knew what was going on uh-huh i was um about 18 years old when i became involved uh very young and yeah. i was up till i was 24 i was involved in it so my involvement um i was born there and when I was nine, my mother was a British au pair in Milan in the late 60s and met my oh, okay. father. Mm -hmm. She very quickly became pregnant. Um, they did get married, but it didn't last very long. And anyway, my, my mother got very close to my Italian grandmother. I mean, you know, you, you're talking about people, obviously, they're criminals as such, but they are a family unit. There's a lot of loyalty, a lot of love, and a lot of uh, people's probably can't quite understand that but my mum became you know very close to my nan and she stayed till I was nine nine years old my family came became heavily involved um with drugs and things um and arms and and my, and my mother got very uh, sort of uh, quite taken aback with that and thought well no I don't want my daughter to be here my father was against it at first and then my nan got around him and and eventually she brought me back to the UK this is why, oh. obviously, I'm, I'm in the north, north of England, yeah. So oh, okay. then I did all my high school here. Kept away from that. Well, every year my mother used to take me back. So, of course, I'd, uh, of course I kept my Italian. I speak fluent Italian. I, I yearned for my family. I love my family because over here I didn't have such a big family and hmm. it was very different for me. We were very alone, me, my mother and I, and... and uh, you know, she had all the sisters and that. It just wasn't that family unit. And I longed for that. So when I was 17, I went over on my own, met the father of my, my daughter's father. Okay, I'm all right. with him. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sorry. I'm just trying to tell you the background as to why, you know, I, I've ended up. Obviously, I was born into it, but then I was taken away. Mm -hmm. And then I chose to go back. I've met, you know, my, my future then husband. and um. I had a lot of daddy issues with my father because mm. he, I was surrounded by growing up with the, uh, he wanted a boy, he wanted a boy and he oh, wanted a boy. Oh, wow. That's a lot of weight. So, uh, so much so that I, I was in a restaurant when I was eight years old and he, in front of his friends, was talking about having this boy. I burst out crying. And I'm telling you this because obviously as I've got old, I'm 50 now and obviously I'm a mature woman and I realise I've done my book, as you know, and Mafia Princess book. And, and I've, it was like a therapy for me mm -hmm. because I was in my mind, you know, why did I sort of get so much and why did I, I'm not trying to make excuses because obviously I did wrong and I did prison time for it. And I admit, you know, I said, yeah, this is what I did. And 
Um, but it, it's going back to that and, and, and looking back on everything that I realized that I wanted to show him that I could do just as much as a boy would do. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, so of course then I, I became involved. I had, I was obviously dual nationality. I had my British passport, um, a lot easier to get around with. Okay. Uh, of course I was smartly dressed very much you'd never ever think that obviously I was the daughter of a big mafia boss or uh-huh. <laughs> I was so heavily involved in in the organization uh, and of course you know the trust was built my father and realized this is another thing you know obviously pre-do my book that speaking to my ghostwriter that uh, he said I was so young how could I have been given such responsibilities and he said, you know, I think this is my Douglas Thompson, my ghostwriter. He said, because you must have shown that you could do that. Because to, to such a young age, you know, my son's 19, 20 this year. And I would uh-huh. never, ever dream of, and, and, and I'm not talking about just illegally. I'm talking right. about legally. Anything, you know, yeah. Anything, <laughs> yeah. You know, so, um, so, yeah, so, so let's- basically... Oh, let's, let's, let's talk about that. So, so we know you were given, like, I, I know you were given responsibility, uh, at a super young age, but let's, let's talk about, let's, let's back up and then get into what the responsibility is. So the thing that's, that's so intriguing to me about, um, a lot of the big criminals that I've talked to is that they, they think really big and they know how to organize a group. Like it's not any different than a CEO, uh, and and they they get things done. They know how to make decisions. They know how to get the most out of their people. And um, so I'm sure you showed you showed that. But what what were the some of the revenue streams that that you all had? Like, did you have a favorite or like a bigger one? Like, tell me tell me about that, and then we'll get into what you did along those lines. Um, well, my father, we we sort of uh, invested in different. Uh, I mean, we had a leather factory leather in okay. northern italy uh-huh. uh, that made leather goods you know shoes bags belts mm-hmm. handbags as i just said um um i think somewhere some for quite for designer uh-huh. <laughs> for some of the designer labels um so then we invested uh into uh water um uh water company uh-huh. in switzerland like so we had shares. Uh-huh. Yeah, we okay. had shares in uh, bottled water in Switzerland. Uh-huh. Uh, I can't quite recall the what the actual name was, and we're talking about thirty years ago. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, a lot has happened since then, um, and uh, it was, we were involved property construction. Um, my father was going to get a, a loan from Fininvest, which at the time was owned by uh, Silvio Berlusconi which was then the president of Italy. Um, uh, so di- different things like that. And also in the travel industry, uh, tourism, um, a travel agency, uh-huh. um, just pretty much anything that we could. We invested also in a bar, a couple of bars. Uh, we have property in Marbella, you know, in Spain, of course, typical, uh-huh. <laughs> typical uh, of the crime, cost of the crime, they call it in uh, Casa de Crime. Uh, Costa, Costa del Crime in, in Costa del Sol. 
<laughs> okay. And that was Marbella was a typical place of all the crooks, if you will, of Europe. <laughs> okay. Go to, and I'm just quite sure they still do. Um, so yeah, that was really mainly. Um, if we had, you know, I had a Coots bank account in Geneva. Uh-huh. I was uh, the one to take the money there, speak to the bank manager. The bank manager was in with all this. She uh-huh. knew um, about what was going on. Um, and the way, I mean, I've been asked how we managed to sort of persuade this bank manager or, <laughs> or uh, working with her. And it was actually, we were quite lucky because it was through other drug traffickers that we uh-huh. were able to to get her on, on board with um, our activities. So. Mm-hmm. So everything, everything you said, like most of it sounds like super legal stuff, right? So, but then you said there was some arms and some drugs and is that how you funded the investments or were, was there something fishy about the investments too? Like, like, I'm so curious how. That's how we, no, that's how we funded them. Okay. Through the legal activities is Uh how we funded the, the investments. So, because we wanted to keep that separate. And of course I was, the front the face and front of them investments because i was super clean yeah uh of course as going back british passport seen as you know probably the second first best in the world back then yeah not sure it's that now you know you can get in these many countries and and things so of course that opened a lot of doors um so I was super clean. I was the front of it and everybody was quite happy to you know of course british uh, spoke English and schooling in England. Yeah, obviously you give it's that perception people have. You see, uh-huh. so they see all that. So of course you would, you know, you think of mafia and maybe a bit not. I'm not saying well educated, but as far how do they go? And they'd have to yeah. get people outside to do these things, wouldn't they? Yeah, they have to get people. Well obviously you know it's not necessarily the case which it wasn't with myself uh-huh. um so of course then i had to do the dirty work as well i used to take monies uh to spain to buy um my father was then very heavily um uh, con- uh contributing um uh, cannabis okay which was resin actually at the time he was directly going to we used to call him the chocolate of Sultan, which was the Moroccan sort of uh, king, if you will, okay. of the resin, uh, direct to the wholesaler, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, so he was he, across from Europe, from Morocco to Spain, across to Italy, and about nine countries were involved at the time. He, we were taking about two tons of resin a week across the borders. And, wow. Yeah. It was a lot at the time. Um, so, you know, I mean, all this, this was then just before I got arrested, what I was more involved in. Before that, my, my family was involved in uh, other illegal, uh, you know, from heroin, cocaine, weapons, arms, uh, our family down southern Italy. So as I was saying that the Andrangata is my grandmother's side of the family. Mm-hmm. So my grandmother was born into that. And um, she left with my grandfather to go to the north to Milan in the late, uh, sorry, late 50s, mm-hmm. 60s time. And she didn't leave that life behind. She took it with her. Oh, okay. 
And of course, we were the ones in the north where we, my father, you know, my, my grandmother and that doing so it was contraband of cigarettes at first going to Switzerland and from that it was more and more and more corruption with police judges uh, their own territory in Milan quite a vast area in Milan that nobody would sort of do anything in yeah you had your territory Um, yeah 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 we had all that so that was then and then obviously over the years it grew and grew you've got to think my grand my father had there was 12 of them all together siblings seven boys and five women oh, so yeah. five girls yeah. yeah so they're a big family um uh you know so that's that's how it became as it did uh, yeah wow so so you got a lot of revenue streams you show up in uh italy now did you know at that point that what your family was up to or did you know anything was different than maybe the people next door? Like, tell me about that. Mm. Well, um, it was, see, so I'd left Italy at nine years old with uh-huh. my mother and I didn't end up seeing my father till I was 13 so for four years. Yeah. But it, when I left, it for, I left, to the UK, uh, my father was involved in a shootout and some a guy was killed. Oh, man. And my father then um, was a fugitive and he came to America. He lived in New York and Los Angeles huh. for a while. Yeah, he was, uh, it was, uh, he was a count over there uh-huh. and <laughs> in New York. And I know that he'd opened some sort of restaurant, apparently, and he was very well uh in with Gotti okay he was doing dealings with Gotti yeah John Gotti yeah yeah uh John Gotti at the time um of course because you've got to remember we're like from the old country and my father was coming from Calabria the Andrangheta yeah and I guess in America they sort of have a respect for that you know that okay because I know Gotti at some point what is my father to work for him and my father's like no I'll work with you but <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm not you know and and what I'm trying to say is because when you come in from the outside you know from the old country as they call it there's different sort of rules and things I guess to what uh yeah so my father yeah he was he was over in the US till I was 13 and then he got caught and obviously had a a, a warrant out from it for him from Italy so I think he got caught with the speeding, something speeding or going through a light. I can't remember. And, and they realized who, yeah. something simple and, and they realized who it was. And of course, then he got remanded and extradited back to Italy and faced the murder trial. He got convicted of murder, which was later uh, reduced to manslaughter in an appeal court. That was because he paid the judge Oh, wow. to do that. Uh-huh. Um, then he did some time inside like a king <laughs> i remember then i from in the uk so i used to go over once a year and i remember going to see him in palmer prison uh-huh. and i just couldn't believe he had this lovely suit on uh, my grandmother was taking him so you're allowed to take a parcel in each week to oh okay on your visit okay so in italy they're very big on taking food cooked food yeah, yeah. And a few bits of clothes. It has to be five kilos, no more. Okay. Of clothes, toiletries, food, 
anything like that. And uh-huh. I just remember my grandmother stopping at the wholesalers to get him the best Parma ham and the best Parma Parmigiano, you know, the cheese. Yeah. And um, sometimes she'd order like lobsters. Oh, man. <laughs> and everything would go into him. Now, years later, you know, found out that he was in the governor's the pocket. You know, the governor was in my father's pocket. Oh, he he actually went to the governor's house to eat from prison. <laughs> wow. Okay. okay. You know, it was it was really it's mind blowing. You know, the corruption that was back then. And then, as I said, uh, money talked and, yeah. and anything that you could. So, so going back to your question, I realized then at thirty, this isn't there's something. <laughs> something not right. Yeah, something. You know, my <laughs> father's in here dressed like really nice suit. Um, you know, we, we're away from all the rest of the prisoners on our uh-huh. in, on our visits, um, and it was just sort of. And then, obviously, over the years going back, I realised that my family wasn't actually normal. Okay. As such, whatever normal is, um, but it was so normal in every other way. Uh-huh. But the business way, that life was different. You know, uh, my grandmother was a normal grandmother. I mean, she actually, uh, it's going to sound crazy to you, but uh, my, the last, my father's sister, the last one, the youngest, was born a month before me. Okay. And my mother wasn't, couldn't milk, you know, she couldn't give me milk from her breast. And, and my grandmother breastfed me. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, okay. you know, this sounds crazy, but they did used to have wet nurses, I believe, anyway, in the uh-huh. 18th century, didn't they? And, yeah. You yeah. know, and, and, she was like, no, what? you know, she's my grandmother. Doing yeah, yeah. That. Uh, so I'm just trying to say to you that was how close. Yeah, know, yeah. Um, wow. Um, yeah, so I was brought up with all that. Uh-huh. Uh, so, of course, that's when I realized. But coming back every year, even though my mother tried to take me out of all that, uh-huh. going back every year didn't help. Because, of course, I wanted to be there. I wanted that family unit. I wanted that love and that affection and all that. And then, of course, the, you know, we were over here, quite middle class, not much, you know, single right. parent. My mother was going over there, you know, there was all the, the wealth and yeah, <laughs> nice huh? cars, nice houses and nice. And I was treated like a princess, literally. Uh-huh. And it was like a no-brainer then for me. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sorry, Mum, but I don't see my future here. So uh-huh. as soon as I was 18, of course, then I met my daughter's father. Uh-huh. But I was over there. But people, you know, it's not so much to do with, of course, I was impressionable. I was young and you are at that age. Right. You know? But it was that family and that loyalty and that, uh, you know, I'm not sure if that comes across, but yeah, it, yeah. it was that. You know, yeah. that I, I crave for more than anything. And, of course, then my father's attention because of all the years that we yeah, had Yeah, yeah, you missed him, yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so, so you end up over there. You're 17, 18, and then – so you're the face of things. And re, did, did you get put – did I read right? You got put fully in charge at one point or – no. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I thought you meant at first. Oh no. 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 At first. Uh, like. Like. What well, was yeah. your job? Because were you like on the payroll, or did you just have everything taken care of? Like at first, and how how did that all shake out? So I I was um, 
so over time I, w- I was given more and more responsibilities so mm-hmm. as I said I was uh, the face you know the front face of anything uh, we had investments I was taking um, money across to Spain to pay for the drugs for the resin I would take it by plane and I'd like big Bridget Joan knickers <laughs> oh, and really? just put money yeah I used to powder myself up with money <gasps> tape it all around but, yeah first class away oh into yeah I used to go and and then many times I did that and then I used to we used to travel across about 10 hour drive from Milan to uh Malaga Mm -hmm. would that be about right yeah so we used to drive down when Seville as well because we had a connection there first and then of course my father went straight to the Moroccans and Uh um so uh, basically, I used to drive down with my uh, daughter's father and we used to put either the money into the panels of the car or into the wheel, the spare wheels or the back or anywhere oh, wow. that we could put. Yeah. So obviously, we've actually, I think it was a little bit more than 10 hours. I don't know why 10 hours came to mind then, but I think it's because we used to stop overnight. Uh-huh sometimes which would be quite we have to find just sort of um um a hotel that had uh, secure park the parking yeah. um or else we'd even take everything out and just put it in bags and take it with us in the hotel room and once i lost about twenty thousand uh twenty thousand lira at the time. Oh. <laughs> yeah i just and i just i just thought i think i left it on it was on the bed and I must have left it under the blanket, not realised, counted oh. wrong. But my mother was a chambermaid at the time in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought to myself, I hope, I hope the chambermaid's got that money. Yeah, that's <laughs> quite She finds it and she right, keeps it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? Our little things like that stick in your mind. that uh, uh-huh. It's quite a lot of money then to sort of lose like that. But anyway, that, that was sort of the, what, what we did and... That happened quite a few times. Uh, so, so, uh, so, so then yeah. uh, you're doing your job, you're kind of doing things, and then what happens to where you're like in charge? Yeah. So then, um, so we're talking about 1990, 1991. Uh-huh. I had my daughter, late 91, um, and they arrest my father. So I was. Uh, probably about four months pregnant uh-huh. and they arrested him over other things uh some old charges and they wanted to question him on some things that it was very rare that they were able my father was always on the go he never had one place he uh-huh. never stayed in one place and um we we never knew where he was <laughs> to be honest and he didn't have a residence just in what you know he was everywhere and uh-huh. all over europe and the the police managed to get him and arrested him and uh he my father's escaped from prison three times in his oh, life wow mm. now did he escape or did he buy his way out uh, no no he, he, he well uh, uh twice no he escaped the third time he sort of bought his way out but escaped got it yeah so he bought his way because he had he's been shot twice in his life so oh. He's got injuries that need to be seen. He has a specialist and that on his leg and on his arm. So 
he paid the doctor in the prison to say that he needed urgent uh, help from the hospital. Yeah. That's the way he paid that. But then uh, he, we knew it was six in the morning, he got taken. And, and the, um, the hospital in the centre of Milan, Fatibarini Fratelli, it's called, it's, uh, it's got underground tunnels underneath the hospital. It's got like tunnels. It's basically for the caretakers or, you know, it's it's used to, so they use that. But of course his men, my dad's men knew that and it was all organized and um, they got him away. They, they got him. He went to a nearby, nearby restaurant and had some food while all helicopters and all hell was breaking loose and he was trying to find him. He went to, a restaurant, local restaurant. He was a friend of his, uh-huh. and he just sat there and had a lovely meal. <laughs> Waited till it died down, and then he was transported via. Um, so basically, when we used to transport the as a resin, it used to come into a, a big um, bus. It was um, a sort of tourism bus. Uh-huh. So it used to go across with tourists, taking them to Spain and back. You know, on a holiday. Yeah, yeah, from Italy to Spain. Yeah, and he used to have uh, a, a special compartment built underneath where we'd put the drugs anyway. Oh, he put my wow. father under there. Yeah, and oh. he went out the country like that. He went to Spain, so he was on the run then uh-huh. for another year. And then, unfortunately, then he moved on to Portugal. And unfortunately, then in Portugal, he for himself, unfortunately, got caught again. And him, yeah. So. By this time I'd had my daughter, I'd tried to step out of this now. Of course, this is then a slap in the face, you uh-huh. know, I'm so heavily involved. And I did get scared as in, I've got responsibilities now, I'm a mother. Yeah. But of course, I was so involved that I couldn't, I couldn't take it away. I'd done what I'd done uh-huh. <laughs> and I couldn't change, you know, so I couldn't change what I'd done. But I did try to step back from the business. And when my father allowed, you know, he was absolutely fine with that. But then, of course, when he got arrested, then again in Portugal in 92, I had to step in. He couldn't, there wasn't many people he could trust. Uh I mean, I was still involved, but not as heavily. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't many people I could, he he couldn't trust many people. And and he just said, right, you you are my voice. Okay. I used to visit him. In prison every weekend from Milan to Lisbon. I used to fly to and go to Coimbra, I think the prison was, uh-huh. and uh, in Portugal. And he'd give me hidden tickets. He'd have things little like, I still have something actually. It's like a, a wooden box of a uh, jewelry box uh-huh. with all lining in it. And in the lining, it'd have tickets for uh, oh, each wow. one of his guys, you know, of uh-huh. messages of to give out to each person Hmm. and that went on uh for a while and of course that was good as in he was still in charge of course and he was but then it became where there's certain things that he couldn't just decide he couldn't just and I had to make decisions Uh uh-huh like, like so, what, what kind of things were you deciding? Like, was it things like who, who to make an offer they couldn't refuse? <laughs> like th- those kinds of things? or Well, or, you know, they, I get asked that. So we'll go straight to the point with that. Because, okay. you know, I get asked to, you know, so had anything gone on at that time that uh, 
someone tried to step on, on your territory or someone, you know, I get asked that, you know, did you have anybody killed or did you? Of course, yeah. thankfully, no. Oh, good. <laughs> now, I'll say straight away, no. But, you know, in all honesty, um, I'm so glad that I wasn't put in that position. Yeah. Huh? Of course. But in all honesty now, even now that I can't say to you, if, if, if someone had to come and it would have meant us or them, uh-huh. I can't say to you that I wouldn't have, you know, right. that I wouldn't have said, I would have said, oh, no, no, no. And because, you know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword in, totally. that, in that life. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you're so into it and it becomes so, it's your reality. Yeah. And it's only now that, Obviously, I'm doing this criminology. I've done my degree and I'm doing my honours now, my third year. And Wow. Um, it's only now that <clears throat> I look back on it and it's so disengaged from everything. I think I, I mentioned, uh, I was talking with Tony on the webinar, I was saying about that um, I did a module on terrorism and, and how disengagement, you know, the disengagement they have from, and it's almost like, when you are into that life and organized crime and uh-huh. you disengage, you, even though I know right from wrong, I knew it then and like I know it now, but you become so involved and it's your family and you want to protect it. You're so loyal. Right. Um, Cause it wasn't about the money for me. It wasn't anything to do with that. It was that I can do as much as a guy. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. That was my, and then well, it's my father. I can't just leave him. Mm-hmm. you know I'm not going to abandon him right and you know and people say well how could your father even possibly want to well you know when you, you're in that life and you can't trust too many people and there's so much money involved and so much you know you can't there's not a lot of people that you can trust well uh, you know I, I was really curious because what what was it like or, or I that's an assumption what um kind of feeling did you have I mean were you always watching your back or I I mean that's that's a lot of weight as well and I assume you'd have that or was it something different no do you of course that's how you live Mm -hmm. you know you have to watch your back we used to I used to go around to be a gun in my car and you know it's 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 that sort of life that's how you are you've got to be really careful and then of course you get the you get others to, um, <clears throat> I mean, uh, because of our, we have family down south, which is a big sort of Andrangata family, yeah. well-known. Uh-huh. Of course, you have a further sort of protection, as in nobody dare touch you because they know if they touch you, they touch 20 behind you. Yeah, and it's not as simple them. as, yeah, of course. Uh-huh. Um, but even then, I mean, they were at war. And uh, at the time in 89, 90, my family down southern Italy were at war with other families and my father stepped in and he he got the military weapons for them oh wow he got the zookas and AK-47s and from the former Yugoslavia was at war then we managed to get them and took them I actually personally took one of the consignments down to them in a we had a car as well that used to put you know, I had a double underneath. This is yeah. all uh, out in the open, by the way. Sure, sure. It's been yeah. in the courts and it's in my book, but it's in the courts. So I'm not saying anything that's... And I um, I, I went down to, with my daughter's father 
uh, to tan this consignment of bazookas and that. I mean, it was so blatant. We were so young. And so this was before my father was arrested, of course. Uh-huh. You're just going back in time. It's about 1990. And I remember that was about a 10-hour trip. It's Milan to Calabria was 10 hours. Okay, so I'm thinking of the 10 hours. And um, I remember we stopped at a service station and we parked right beside a Carabinieri car, which is the military police in Italy. Oh, okay. And just walked out, got a coffee, got a sandwich. And by the time we come out, they were stood there chatting, carabinieri, and just put their hands up. We were young. And we just put our hands up and just go, <laughs> just sorry, I'm laughing because it's not funny, but it was just so blatant. Yeah. And they would never in a million years think, you know, and we risked our lives, obviously, to do this. Yeah. We took it down. The family eventually did win the war thankfully uh-huh. um and there was a lot of people that had died in it but that there was more than half it was my side of the family oh yeah as well as theirs so uh-huh. it was quite bad and uh you're always in that mind you know of if i didn't do it someone else would have done it something like that you know and you think you know you have to carry the guilt of people who got killed with that Oh. But then you think, but you, but that was my family. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I was pre- in my own way protecting my family. I'm not trying to make excuses of, you know. Of, no, I get it though. It's but just when you're in, on. yeah. Yeah. When you're in the corner and you, you know, you, you sort of, anyway, my father funded it all and, and he, you know, my family did, did eventually come out of that, that war and, and, and they won it. So, but then, of course, the repercussions of that were, was that when my father did get <clears throat> trialed because of, of all of it, when he got arrested in Portugal, they included all that. And because it was oh. military weapons, everybody got 30 years ahead. Oh. Prison time. It, was that the whole family or just him? A few, or, yeah. I got 14 years altogether. Oh, you did? Okay, for that? Uh, for everything in uh-huh. the UK, I got four years. Well, just under four years, three years, nine months, and in Italy, I got ten years. Uh huh. But I ended up doing four. That was another story of, of uh, there was uh, a legal technicality that had happened because mm-hmm. I, I was, I did time in the UK. I'm sorry. Am I going too far ahead here? Are you okay? Oh well, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think it, I think it's good. Um, so I, I, I do before before we jump that far ahead because this is fascinating. Um, I'm just curious. When you were in charge, what was the toughest decision you had to make? Do you remember? Because leadership's not at in, in, in any uh, organization, whatever it is, it's not easy. Like there's always something no, going on. What was um, the toughest thing you had to do? Um, there wasn't, thankfully, you know, my father had his soldiers, that's what we call them, uh-huh. um, that sort of knew their roles and didn't really, they could just get on with it. Okay. Uh, I had a dispute with my father's brother. Oh. And he, yeah, because he couldn't get his head around that a young woman was possibly could do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he actually threatened to, uh, to have me picked up and give her a kick up her bottom yeah and bring her to me and he tried to take over my father that was my own uncle oh wow so you had yeah all strife there i bet mm, yeah so uh i just didn't i said i'm not i'm not gonna see him 
yeah how dare he threaten me and my dad wasn't happy about that um but that was the only thing you know this is what i'm saying you know when it's not just outsiders as well (laughs) you've got to watch who's around you Mm -hmm. within the family which is not nice to think or to but you know it was uh, I, i think it was more of an ego thing with him oh sure i guess yeah. You know, how this can this young woman could possibly even uh so I had you know, not just the outside sort of rivals, the inside rivals and uh, thankfully I was well protected, a lot of everything sort of gone smooth. There wasn't really anything or any decisions I had to make that was severe or like I've just mentioned, anything harsh that you know, I had to uh Thankfully, I didn't have to make. Yeah, you got lucky there. Wow. So yeah. So so you end up in uh, jail. You're in prison. You with sounds like four years, and um yeah. or yeah yeah. So uh, then yeah. How would you end up doing what you do now? Let's talk about that because because there's been a progression and a change of heart or a change of. I don't know if it's a change of heart is the right uh, word for it, but it, it definitely a change of uh, circumstances in, in what you're doing with your life. So let's talk a little bit about that progression. What you're learning now, what you, what, yeah. what, what caused the shift, like the whole thing. Well, um, of course, you know, when you go into prison, you realize you either, you know, you're not going to go back in there. Yeah. There's people that will keep making the same mistakes and go back in. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's like a vicious circle then so I knew from day one that I was never going to go back in that so from the time um, I tried to sort of I found myself in a lot of ways uh-huh. uh, I didn't have this hierarchy of men around me oh. <laughs> of That's course right I'd always up. had um, I could sort of you know, I, I found myself in, in many ways and I left my husband while I was in there. Okay. He was arrested just before, about a year before, around about the time my father was. And I, I decided that, you know, he wasn't going anywhere. And I loved him, but I didn't like his ways and how he was. And I left him and it was, of course, he was very upset. And I would never have been able to do that on the outside. Oh, oh wow. Oh, no, because it was just that my father wouldn't have agreed with it and my oh yeah I wouldn't have been able to uh to do that and I decided yeah that's it we're in the same boat he's in prison I'm in prison I'm leaving him Good and you. yeah you know and um and then I guess from something bad I sort of tried to turn it around from a bad experience it could have made me something very bitter and twisted yeah but I didn't I sort of came out and thought right you know my life there's other things that happened just as I came out uh but then it was just you know what I don't care like my outlook was my bridge is full and I am rich (laughs) you know that is all that matters I had my my son then and it was you know and I've I've grown them up I was then left a single parent Ah. with both and I grew them up um I tried self-employment I had shops uh, uh, children's clothes uh, I did markets I've um, only up to not too long ago I was cleaning I, I was self-employed cleaning oh wow I just tried to do because of the stigma mm-hmm. <laughs> that I had uh, after coming out of prison yeah uh, as, people as, know you that, 
Well, yeah, around the area, of course, with uh-huh. my mother, because nothing ever happened here. It was a one-horse cart town. And right. Of course, then Mafia Princess, you uh-huh. know, it was like, whoa, what's going on here? And, of course, um, thankfully, you know, people were nice enough. But the, when it came to, you know, it's that tick-the-box thing where if you go for an interview and you're trying to get a job, it's very, very hard because yeah. if you're the one with a criminal record... Uh-huh. It doesn't matter how much you try and make it fair. They're not going to choose you. Right. Um, and I've had that, you know, when I tried to get a job, I could have had a good career as well and capable of, and I've just never been given a chance. So, of course, then I was being self-employed. I tried a few things. And uh, then my children uh, were sort of grown up. My, my youngest uh, just left the college, you know, he's left high school, and I thought, I want, I'll try and do this criminology. Yeah. <laughs> I want to try and see from, I've been on that side. Um, I'd like to, it was, it was more for that. It wasn't anything, you know, like this, chatting uh-huh. to someone like yourself or, or it was more for myself um, in finding myself out. And of course I did over time. I mean, there's been, I've been in a classroom where I got quite emotional with certain things because it answered my own questions of my own how I was. Oh, really? You know, the, yeah, sociological uh-huh. uh, theories and uh, psychological theories and, you know, and, and uh, uh, biological theories all into that uh-huh. of where you're born and who's around you and, and you're so perceptible when you're young and as you're growing up and all this sort of, like, was talking to you about a daddy issues. Yeah, yeah. That, um, that I obviously had and never even thought about that. I mean, you know, when I come out of prison, I thought, well, it was my fault. I did it. I've done my time. I did, I did the punishment. I did the rehabilitation, uh-huh. uh, which actually is the wrong word because it's habilitation, really, isn't okay, it? Okay, yeah, yeah. Rehabilitation, you're going back to what you were. Oh. Which you don't. Okay. You know, everybody talks about rehabilitation, right, actually. And the circumstances, like this it's it's not really is it because <laughs> you ch- you're going you're not going back you're going forward yeah you, yeah. you re sort of I guess in reinventing yourself there you go now yes you are mm-hmm. you still I mean you know does a leopard ever change its spots of course we hear that yeah 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 and I'm a true believer that actually I don't think anybody does you are what you are your nature is your nature uh-huh. now what changes is your behavior yeah absolutely. how you is how you then uh, you then are with that isn't it it's, it's it, it, that's in general with everything it's your behavior it's how you are towards that it's what you do with with that um so of course that's that's all so that's opened up my mind in in them sort of ways of and then, of course, with that, I, I went to a criminology conference and there was a few academics. And then at the end, this guy that was a lifer stood up um, and he told his story. And I thought, I could do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I could stand up there and do that. That's, Absolutely. Pretty, you know, it's, so then I got older, the Hodder Education that do it. Um, and... They they love that, you know. And then the, the next year, I I was I was stood on that stage, and and from then on, I've you know I've I've spoken to many people, and and um, you know people say about my book, oh, my book, 
it was about uh that's another story i can go on it was mainly <laughs> no but it was i was getting a lot of the journalists saying things even 10 years after i've been out of prison about the, the guy was arrested 20 miles away and they uh, linked him to me and and said uh uh, oh, well, she's got the same bank and she lives there and she might have gotten this. And I was so, so frustrated and so angry. I never knew this guy. He was a Gomorrah. Oh, oh wow. Uh, Gomorrah guy that was on the run from Italy. He uh-huh. was a hitman. Oh. Yeah. So uh, I was so frustrated. It was a national paper. I think it was a uh-huh. Telegraph or something. And I was so, and I went to my solicitor and said, you know, what can I do? I couldn't do anything. And then I was approached the third time I'd been approached about twice before in oh. 10 years and about doing my book. And I just thought I can't get a career. I've got this stigma that I can't get any further. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm being asked and asked about my life story. Of course, there's a financial side of it. We're not oh, going yeah. to, you know, and I just thought I'm going to put the record straight. This is, oh, so when I, 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 this is what I've done and this is what, you know, and, and when, I say the financial side, it's not, you're not a millionaire overnight, unfortunately, or, you know, you're not, but it, to me, that's a bonus. My book is a bonus. What I'm doing, I'm earning money myself. Yeah. Anything from that is for my children, a future for my children, because I can't, I've not had a 20 year career where I can leave them a home or I can leave them a business or something. So I, to me, that's, that's something for their future. Yeah. So even though they so, will work. Yeah. yeah. So, so your book is called Mafia Princess, right? Yeah. And where yeah. can people get that? Yeah. Oh, there it is. <laughs> oh, it looks it? good. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to it's, get it. I haven't right. got mine yet. I'm, I'm going to order it right after we get off here. So where do we go? It's, um, it's on, uh, it should be on Amazon. On Amazon? I think there's okay. a, yeah, it did come out in America a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, you should be able to get it from Amazon. And of course you've got eBay. There's a lot of on eBay that yeah. uh, sort of. Well, uh, I, I will get buy a new one because that will help you. <laughs> if I have <laughs> okay, okay, but be the same. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Thank you yeah. for that. Yeah. So, but of course from that, um, just want to mention, um, uh, uh, Amazon prime, uh, have taken have the option to make um, a series of my book. Oh, cool! Um, yeah, they are. Uh, it's the first Italian series. Um, so the I think they're trying to sort of uh, be competitive with the Netflix. I think yeah. so. Um, they they've done it quite a few in Europe. So there's the first Spanish Amazon Prime, there's French, and mine's the first Italian. So. I, I'm quite, you know, uh, I feel honoured for that. Um, yeah. So that should be quite interesting. They should, they should have started filming actually in March, but of course, yeah, a little delay with everything on. that's, yeah, yeah. Um, wow. Okay, so two more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the number one thing that people listening can take from your story, right, to make their lives better or protect themselves in some way? What do you think? I think uh, appearances can be very deceiving. Okay. <laughs> and your instinct should sort of, you know, go with your instinct with certain things. Yeah. I guess that's from a survival point of view as well that uh-huh. I'm talking about. But I've always, because of, of my 
experience in life. Mm-hmm. And obviously the knowledge that I have now <laughs> because of that, um, uh, I, I just sort of, I can now sort of see straight through people, thankfully. Yeah. Um, in person, you know, and what appears in front of you is not necessarily what it is. And I know a lot of people may say, well, we sort of know that. and with, But to what extent do you know that? Because if I was to appear in front of you somewhere, uh-huh. you would never, ever dream that I'd had a past like I had. Yeah, now or I could be, And I could be quite deceitful as well. Of course, that life is deceitful, isn't it? It's, it is. As in, you... you, you you're always ducking and diving. You're always, it's a lie. Your presence is a lie because you're making yourself to be something that you're not. Well, we all hide behind our facade, right? We all have, of course. We all have light and we all have dark. And sometimes you just never know which one's going to come out or what trigger's going to have it flip. So, so, do you, so, so you think you're pretty good at seeing that in people and knowing what they're going to do next? And not necessarily what they're going to do next, but uh-huh. I, I just know enough not to want them in my life. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Guess. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I can sort of feel, you know, or even at a party or, you know, social gathering, um, which we won't have for a while with this social distancing, yeah, of course. Know. But, um, but even with that, I can just straight away in that room, I can pick somehow, or I can actually spot the, the one that might be a bit dodgy. Uh-huh. For, I don't even know myself how I can do that. Right, but, but it's I can, a sixth sense. I can spot, yeah. Okay, okay. I can just have that feeling. Uh, so I'm hoping that answers your question. Yeah. I'm more, it's more of a survival thing with me. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I, I haven't really been in an environment, a corporate environment or anything like that. But I'm actually presuming that you still have the same sort of hierarchy and you still have the same backstabbing and you still have the it's same. It's exactly the same. You haven't said anything different than, I mean, besides taping the money around, around you, like you haven't really said anything a whole lot different than what goes on in corporate America or, and, mm. you know, probably corporate um, Europe <laughs> probably too. Right. Yeah. Because there's organizations, you have to know your people and you have to be able to get the best out of them. And, focus on the company mission right and it takes a great leader to um to be able to do that effectively and and profit right because anyone can tank a business that's that's easy right with a few of the wrong decisions so um Mm. so tell us like what you're doing now because you're out speaking tell me the kind of groups that that um that, that you're speaking to how you're helping them how people can get a hold of you this is this is your advertisement time. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, <laughs> thank you. Um, this is well, basically, I'm uh, I've got North Bank um, Agency, North Bank Talent Agency in London. Okay. Uh, who uh, sort of looks after anything um, like that? I'm actually in contact with someone else to the London Speaking Bureau. Okay. As well, that have um, will have my details. I'm just about to take them on as well. Um, so basically what, what I do now is I go to, uh, well, I did <laughs> before all this, <laughs> Yeah. hopefully will happen again. So as I said, I did the criminology conference in, um, in London and various other cities in the UK. That was more for sort of students. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've done, I've gone into prisons okay. and spoke to prisoners, um, 
basically sort of obviously everyone I speak to, I, I, I say most of what I just spoke to you about yeah uh, but obviously I also have I sort of say about you know it's, that life isn't worth it right because and I mean that you know it's not worth it you can it took me a while but I realized that actually you can earn really good money as well without be, breaking the law and <laughs> um, you know and obviously having the right people around you and what do you want to do in and out of prison is this going to be you for the rest of your life mm -hmm. the stigma that you already have and the stigma that i'm still fighting stigma uh even now i still have oh, yeah. to fight it you know so it's that it's not so much you, you commit you know and, and i'm a great believer of someone everybody deserves a second chance i just feel that everybody does uh deserve it. um when i say that obviously when you talk about crimes, paedophilia or rapes or, ah, uh, no. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I I'm sort there. of draw the line there. I draw the line there. Then that's a different, that, they're, they're ill. Uh, that's another category. That's not even, you know, um, they, there's something there. Not, I know people might think that about organised crime, that they're not wired correctly. And I guess, in a way, we must have a little bit of craziness. But who hasn't? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Everybody has their thing. Everybody does. Like you just said, there's light and there's dark. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so basically, I do that. Uh, I've been to a few prisons. I've been to Pentonville, which is, I mean, it, it was built in 1842, and it was one of the first uh, prisons, you know, of uh, of its kind. And, Ooh, and uh, yeah, and it, to be honest, that was one of the first ones that I went into uh -huh. without being a prisoner or a visitor actually being in, in the educational side and it was quite uh, daunting actually the really? smell the yeah because it just took me back to being in there uh -huh. um it's, it's, yeah it's very surreal but um but I did that you know it was good and I just, I just I guess I'm just trying to and of course I spoke on the webinar mm -hmm. in regards to obviously my money laundering at the time so that was my main I was money laundering and um, I, you know, I've done that now and who knows what the future holds. Hopefully many other doors will open. I didn't intend when I first started doing my criminology to do this, but thankfully do doors have opened in this, in this way. And I'm glad because it's good to put my knowledge across of obviously it's quite unique of, of my past and my life and what I went through. Of course, there's so much more that I didn't mention. Oh, <laughs> so you I read my book, you have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, uh, but you know, I'll talk like this now, but you find me somewhere out and I would never, no one ever knows who I am unless they recognize me or, yeah, yeah. But even friends I have for years, they didn't know. And then when I did my book, I had to tell them, they were like, oh, I don't know you. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they couldn't. Because it's not something that I'd want to, you know, I wanted to leave it behind. And even yeah. now, you know, obviously I talk and, but it's not something I just go out there and I'd want people to know. It's yeah, not, you, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, first thing. I'm not, yeah, and I'm not proud of it. You know, I am, I, I, do, I am ashamed of, of certain things and certain positions that I put myself in and how indirectly people were hurt and, you know, then that's, I have to carry that. Yeah. I have to carry that. And, you know, I'm trying to do good now and hoping that would balance that anyway, but oh, I'm yeah. doing it. 
I'm doing it from the heart, you know. I'm no, not, I can tell. I uh, can really tell. And, thank and I, you. I, I think you're going to help a lot of people uh, by telling your story. But I think I think there's some things that are going to unfold for you. Like I can sort of tell what's you know about people kind of like you. But I, I think there's going to be things that unfold for you that are going to be bigger than what you imagined. And um, you're going to get to use all that experience for good because everything happens for a reason. And, you know, you've decided mm. to let the light out and it's going to work. Oh, thank you. That's, that's really nice for you to say that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Thank you. And right. thank you for having me. Oh, are you kidding? I'm, I'm honored <laughs> that, that, that you came yeah. on. So, so thank you very much. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.